Okay, so I invite you to take your Bibles. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 1. And um, today we'll look at verse 8 to 19. Proverbs 1, verse 8 to 19. So just to let everybody know what we do is we our plan is to work through chapters 1 to 9, verse by verse. And then from chapters 10, we'll take it topically because that's when all those bullet point proverbs begin. And then we'll study some of those topics together. So we will move through chapters 1 to 9 together. But then um, we'll do topical sermons on the, those themes in Proverbs. All right, let's read together. Proverbs 1 verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and haul, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods, we shall fill our houses with plunder, Throw in your lot among us, we will have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for, ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Please pray with me. Father, we ask you for your grace and your mercy now. Please open our hearts and we pray that the, the seed that is sown, that your Holy Spirit will cause it to grow for fruit, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Proverbs have shown us that to be wise, you and I must begin with the fear of the Lord. That's another way to say that true wisdom is not about tips to live a better life. True wisdom is a person. True wisdom is a relationship with the Lord himself. All things are from him and through him and to him. Therefore, the foundation of all wisdom is the first of the great commandment, which is we shall love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But this God has placed us in a world full of people. He has placed us in families, in social structures, and friends and people around us. And because this world is full of people, this world is also full of voices. Do this. Don't do that. Come with us. Enjoy this. Don't do that. You see how these voices are telling you how to live your life, what you should be pursuing. Now the passage before us, has a very surprising, simple lesson. For you to have true wisdom, you need to learn discernment to, to know which voices to listen to. If you do not learn discernment about which voices you need to listen to, you will never become wise. This text is all about listening. In verse 8, when it says, Hear, my son. Look at verse 10 to 11. My son, if sinners entice you, if they say to you, Come with us. Do you see? Look at verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. Look at verse 24 to 25. Because I have called and you refuse to listen. You see, so this whole chapter, it's all about listening and learning how to listen to the right voices 
and to reject the wrong voices that will destroy your life. And the very first voice you need to learn to listen to is actually the very first voice you've heard in your life. The voice of your father and your mother. The fifth commandment is honor your father and your mother that it may go well with you in the land. And we'll see how godly parents instruct his son here in this passage in two parts. First, we'll see a parent's instruction. And secondly, we'll see a parent's warning. A parent's instruction and a parent's warning. So the first aspect we see here is a parent's instruction in verse 8 to 9. The text begins with a call to pay attention. When it says in verse 8, Hear my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Now to hear, when a parent says, hear, listen to me, what is he saying? He's saying, don't just let the decibels fall on your eardrums. It is, do what I say. Pay attention to my words. It's a call to obedience. Right? So when I say to Jordan, Jordan, listen to me. Right? I don't just want him to let the the sounds fall on his ears. I want him to pay attention and to obey me. Now, This call to attention, I think already as parents, many parents here, and Lord willing, many of you will become parents one day, we already have this amazing lesson. If you want to instruct your children, discipline them, warn them, or whatever, first, call them to attention. Make sure you have eye contact. One mom asks her children to listen with their whole bodies. Now, what that just means is, you know, children often, they listen, but their eyes are there, their bodies are wiggling, and they, they're like jittery. It's like, no, listen with your whole body. That means stand still, eye contact, and say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, right? Sometimes parents, I think we frustrate ourselves with our children because we haven't first called them to attention. We haven't first sat them down and say, listen, I'm speaking to you, eye contact, We should be, when we communicate like this, you and I should be deeply affectionate with our children. I see a picture here of a father taking his son on his lap or his daughter on his lap and saying, listen, I need to speak to you. This is serious. Listen to my voice. Our children should feel and see our love in our body language, not our irritation, not our disdain. Right, But who is involved in this instruction? Right, We see it in verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Both father and mother is involved with the instructing of their children. Both have to take this seriously. This takes time, effort, and intentionality. And beloved, here it's good for us to pause and say, this has been God's design from the very beginning. Whose job is it to teach your child? Whose job is it to make sure that they are brought up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Deuteronomy 5 says it like this, very well known, the Shema, the great commandment. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you shall, today shall be on your heart You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and it shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Notice how often should a parent be seeking to teach and instruct 
their children, according to this verse. Can this teaching be a Sunday thing? Can this be a, even a once-a-day thing when you are eating together around the table? Sadly, many, many families don't even do that. They don't even eat together. No, what does this text teach us? It says, oh, this instructing of the fear of the Lord, to love the Lord with all our heart, must be done with unrelenting repetition. Unrelenting. Every moment you have, you should seek how to draw their attention, to ask them questions, to try and get into those little hearts. Now, I'm not talking about nagging. Not nagging your children, right? But to instruct their children, asking good questions about why they did what they did. What did they feel? Trying to draw out their motives. Or then, or just when you see creation, when you see beautiful things around you, to always be the arrow that points them to God. It's like, look at what God has done. Look at how glorious God is. And beloved, this takes time. So you and I should covet time with our children desire it you should protect that time with them you cannot delegate this to somebody else this is your duty the new testament agrees in ephesians 6 verse 4 it says fathers do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction now there are normally two extremes with parents when it comes to their children and bringing them up The one extreme is parents only focus on the discipline. Their main goal with their children, I just want children who behave. I want children who, when I say something, they do it because I don't want to be embarrassed in public. Just be quiet when I want you to be. Just don't embarrass me when I'm in public. Now, these parents tend to be heavy-handed and inconsistent with the discipline. These parents don't instruct, they don't teach, they don't explain why. The only thing their children hear is because I said so. Now, there's a time and place to do that. Okay, <laughs> You should say that. But that's not all your children should hear. Now, that's the one extreme, heavy on the discipline. The other extreme, guess what, is heavy on the instruction. Okay, These are the parents who just teach. No discipline. These are the, the don't, they don't want to hurt their little angels. These are the gentle parenting folks. They reject wholeheartedly any form of the rod or the holy grail, the wooden spoon that hangs on our wall. They reject that because they assume that their children are good at their core. They just need instruction until your child turns two. (laughs) And they start throwing you with their pop because that's not the breakfast they wanted, right? Suddenly, these angels on Facebook and Instagram become your little vipers in diapers, right? The gentle parenting only works until 7 a.m. once your child is awake. Then it's over. And the gentle parenting thankfully returns 7 p.m. when the children goes back to bed. And the sad thing is, the irony of gentle parenting, of those who only want to teach without any discipline, is eventually they have to resort to shouting and to nagging and to other means, manipulating, bribing, and trying to just get their children to listen. No, what do we see? Look at the verse again, Ephesians 6 verse 4, bring them up in two things, the discipline and instruction. Proverbs shows us both. Proverbs tells us, use the rod Don't neglect the rod, but use your words. 
You cannot neglect either one or you will ruin your child. And usually in this order, when they are younger, they need the rod more, right? And when they are older, they would need instruction more. In other words, in an ideal world, when your child is born, you have 100% authority over them and you have 0% influence over them. Now, that's how it should be, right? You have to tell them when to eat, what to eat, when to sleep, else they die. Okay, so that's the good authority. God made you an authority, you should use it. But as your child grows up, as your child is preparing to leave the house, your authority should be less and less and your instruction should be more and more so that by the time they leave, you should have 0% authority and 100% influence in their life. That's the ideal. No, not living in an ideal world. We all fail. But that's what you should be aiming for. What I, I remember when I was growing up as a, as a teenager and as a child in my parents' home, the one thing I longed more than anything was the presence of my parents, the presence, their instruction as I was growing up. Some of my sweetest memories of my father and my mother was when they just told me something. Right? Yes, I'm thankful for the vacations. I'm thankful for the gifts. I'm thankful. All of those things was indispensable. But what I really loved the most was when they spoke to me, the word of God, when they instructed me. When my dad said to me, son, you can do anything you want to do. I think that was his way to say, I'm proud of you. Or when my mother, I remember me telling my mother that I'm just a sad nobody. I was very depressed at that time. And my mom saying to me, son, I see you as a happy, singing young man. You see, those words meant more to me, and I still remember them. That, that helped me. That was what I was looking for. And I think what I really wanted from my parents was not even precise wisdom, profound insights. I just wanted them. I wanted to eat around the table with them and discuss my questions, my fears, So parents, you don't have to be smart. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be strong. You don't need to be perfect because all you need is to keep pointing them to a perfect God. You see, we are not the saviors of our children. You are not the Messiah. There's only one who can save your children. There's only one Messiah, and it's not you. You are just God's agent for his change and good. Okay, there's a windstorm there at the back. <laughs> okay. So parents, let me just say this. Pick up your responsibility. Instruct and teach. Make sure you, you grab their attention before you talk. Sit them down, hold them, tell them how much you love them. Explain to them often and repeatedly why things the, are the way they are. And most importantly, instruct them in the word of God. Instruct them in Proverbs. Instruct them in the fear of the Lord. Tell them who God is. Tell them what he has done to save us. Tell them to repent. You see, sometimes I think parents are scared to tell their children, listen, you need to repent from your sins. Little three-year-old Alakai needs to repent from his sins. I know he's cute. I know you don't want to say that, but it's the truth. Parents, don't don't hide these truths from your children. Tell them. Say, God will save you if you believe in him. If you just believe, he'll save you. Come to Jesus. He's a good, gracious savior. So those were the words for the parents. Now I would like to turn my attention to the children here. Your parents were given to you by God. 
What does the Bible say? You were formed in your mother's womb. You see, that, that was not a mistake. That's God's plan. I know some of you here come from extremely broken families. You had a really evil father or a really evil mother. And the damage that they have done to you is unfathomable. And you still and probably will carry the scars of that hurt for the rest of your life. But listen to me. Even if your family was like Joseph's family, where his brothers hated him, sold him off into slavery after they almost murdered him, what do we see? God intended it for good. Did you hear what I just said to you? God intended the sinfulness of Joseph's family for good. Even broken families are not outside of God's control. God works through broken families, messiness of, the, of our lives to glorify God and bring him glory. So turn to his word for instruction. Here, here are the words of eternal life. Here you will vo- hear the voice of God, your father. As he instructs you in the ways of wisdom. Your father loved this world so much that he gave his own son that he might save all those who would repent and trust in Christ. So come to God your father through his son. So what you need to do is you need to let go of the hatred and the bitterness and the unforgiveness that you have against your parents. You need to forgive them as God has forgiven you of your unpayable debt could you ever have paid back God with your, from the sins you've done? Could you ever have given something to God to say, make God say, okay, now I'll cancel your debt. He canceled your debt. So cancel the debt of your parents. God will judge. God will repay. You don't need to keep on to, for revenge because vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Fall on Christ. Let his love set you free from that anger. For others here, maybe you are still living with your parents. Some of, most of you are outside of the home, but many of you are still here with your parents, thinking of Larise, Olivia, Andrew, okay. Alaka and Jordan, if they can hear me there at the back. Right? You need to learn to obey God. And trust him with the fifth commandment when it says, honor your father and your mother. Do you know what that means? Honoring means, is the same Hebrew word for weight. Treat your parents with weight. Treat them with respect. The, the word honor is the same word for glory. Glorify your parents in a sense. This means when your parents speak, don't interrupt them. You don't roll your eyes at them if they irritate you. You don't think that they are dumb. You don't raise your voice at them. You communicate openly and freely with them, and you do what they say with immediate joy. Now, do you see why you also need the Holy Spirit okay, to do that? Sadly, sometimes we hide behind our disobedience by being more spiritual than God. I've, I've read this story about this young Christian man who was living with his, um, only with his mother. I think his father passed away. But he was busy praying on his knees with an open Bible on his bed, and his mother shouted to him and said, "Um, please help me come cut the grass. He replied, no, mom, I'm busy. Can't you see I'm busy with more important things? 
When she came upstairs, opened the door, seeing him pray, she was upset, of course. Shame. Only later he realized, I could probably cut the grass and pray at the same time. (laughs) And if he knew his Bible, he knew he would glorify God more by obeying God than by praying. So when your parents ask you to wash the dishes, help with the garage, right, to cut the grass, you honor them by obeying them. I had a similar wake-up call like this once when we celebrated my birthday. I was a teenager. I remember I was very bitter and angry with my own father. And I remember we were having a good time, but I was just telling everybody what a bad father I have and how bad my father is for me and how angry I am with my father. And, and then one young, one young lady from church took me aside. She says, Rian, I know you are angry with your father, but it's not right to talk about him like that. And for the first time, I realized how sinful my attitude was towards my father. She was right. I needed to learn to trust God and honor my parents anyway, whether they deserved it or not. As all the children, I think this means that when your parents are calling you, not to be short and irritated with them, but to treat them still, even as they are old, with weight. We should always, the fifth commandment applies for when you're in the house and when you're out the house. We should always honor our father and our mother. So you see, this is foundational to wisdom. Just like charity, wisdom starts at home. That's the training wheels of fearing God, is to give weight to your parents. So that's why you need to learn to fear God. You see, you're never going to honor your father and your mother if you do not fear God. That's where it begins. Go back to lesson one. Go back to verse seven. All right, before you move on to the next lesson. And trust God with even the parents you have. And what will happen if you would honor your parents, listen to them? Look at verse 9. It says, This teaching, this instruction, they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Simply put, if you submit to your parents and trust the Lord with your parents and accept their teaching, then that will make you a beautiful person. To make you an attractive person. Some of the most unattractive people to me is people that are beautiful on the outside but treat their parents like rubbish. And some of the most attractive people to me is people that, not a 10 out of 10 physically, if we can use that, that terminology, but when I see that humility, that honoring of their father and their mother, it's just beautiful. So this is what this verse tells you. If you, if you would obey your parents and submit to them, it makes you an attractive person. Now, of course, this assumes that what the parents are teaching you is actually in accord with what the Bible says. So you should not listen to your parents if they say, come steal for me, come break the law, come. No, that's not honoring your parents. Then you should honor the Lord, fear him more. But children, listen, you have a responsibility here. To honor your parents and to listen to them. That's the parents' instruction. And secondly, let's look at the second point. Parents' warning. Parents' warning. And we'll move a bit quicker now as well. So this instruction, the instruction includes a clear warning of what kind of temptation will face the son once he moves out of the house. He knows that sinners will try and make sin attractive. Look at verse 10. To what? Look at verse 10 to, to 14, what the father says here. He says, My son, if sinners entice you, Do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. 
Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and haul like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will have one purse. Now, I want you to make notice something with me. Who is busy telling the child about this? Who is the speaker here? Right? It is still the parent who is instructing his son by saying, My son, listen, this is how people think in the world. This is the kind of temptations you are going to face. Don't listen to them. In other words, at the appropriate time, it is good for parents to prepare their children for the kind of temptation they will face in the world. The kind of objections people will hear about Christianity, about the truth, once they move out of the house. So in other words, we should not shelter our children so much that we never talk about things the way the world thinks, the way the world talks, and never tell them how to think about those things. So when the time is right, we should let them know and we should prepare them how to think. I think in a context like Potchefstroom, with where many come to study at, at the PUC, children need to be aware at least of what kind of objections they will face in the university. It's sad for me when children come to university and it's the first time they hear that the Bible cannot be trusted. Or it's the first time they hear that, well, you believe the Bible, why don't you believe the Quran? Like it's the same. And see, now suddenly you're faced with these things and you just don't know what to do. I think parents have a responsibility not to be clued up on everything, but to know the basics. And thank God there's a great ministry right here in Pochesterum, Rashi Christi, that you can join that does this very thing, that equips students knowing how to defend the faith and what the Bible is and how we know God exists and everything. So please check that out, Rashi Christi. But how beautiful will it be if parents could give these basic instructions. Parents, about temptation, about objections, how to respond. So it does mean, as parents, you need to do some homework yourself. You need to be able to know what's going on. Even now, like, I'm deeply concerned about my five-year-old and my three-year-old with the kind of friends that they play with. I'm telling them, listen, my son, if, if anyone says this to you, no one will know. Don't listen to that. Because God will know. Where is God? God is everywhere. Yes. Can you see God? No, but God always sees me. Excellent. Now, remember that, my son. And so already here we have wisdom to know who wise friends are and who foolish friends are. So if you hear phrases like these, nobody will find out. Nobody will see. Come on, just one. Don't be a party pooper. Okay. Friends who push you to sin are not wise friends. Unless you influence them for the better, you should not be friends with them. Your soul is more valuable than your friends. So the lure of temptation here is threefold. These friends lure the, the young son in three ways. The promise of power, a promise of wealth, and the promise of community. So look at the first thing they do. They, they lure the son with power. They say, they, they say look at verse um, 11 to 12. He says, Come, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and haul like those who go down to the pit. Sheol is, the de is death or the grave. So what they are saying is that we will be like death itself. We decide who dies and who lives. We are in control of our lives and our destinies and the destinies of other people. We are in control. Now, I would say that's a good definition of toxic masculinity. 
When men use their power to hurt others and not to protect others, right, that's toxic. But true masculinity is when you use your power to protect, to save, and to sacrifice. You know, the manliest man who ever lived died for his enemies. He died for you and me. Jesus had almighty power to destroy those who arrested him, but no no one took his life from him. He laid it down. You see, true power is power under control. So this lure to power, don't buy it. Second temptation is a lure to money, a lure to easy money, really. Look at verse 13 to 14. It says, We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will have one purse. So they, they promise a kind of communism here. They say, we will have one bank account. We will all share what we have. Let's be selfish with other people's money. We won't be selfish amongst ourselves. We promise. Or let's just take it for free. Why do we have to work for our money if we can just grab it? Later, this is the one thing the father lifts out or highlights again in verse 19 when he says, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. You see, so the love of money takes away the life, your life, your joy, and your contentment. Greed never says enough. It never says thank you from the heart. It always looks to what others have and thinks, I want that. The love of money has destroyed many, many people's lives. In the book, um, The Overworked American, the author showed that in the last 50 years in America, Americans always chose to receive a greater salary than time off to spend with their families, without exception. People will sacrifice their wife, their husband, their children on the altar of money. But money cannot satisfy or give you lasting peace. At best, money or the comfort money buys is like a plaster on your cancer. It can soothe you maybe for a short while, but it cannot cure your greedy heart. But what do we see when we look to Christ? Right? Jesus left the riches of heaven to become poor and to make us rich. Right? He left the comfort, the glory, the praises of angels to be born in a stable. As king of kings, he took a crown of thorns on his head. He gave away everything that you and I might gain everything. Only Jesus is the one that can give your heart true peace, true contentment. And knowing him, having him as our greatest treasure is when your heart finally says, I have enough. Listen to Hebrews 13 verse 5, a beautiful verse. It says, keep your life free from love of money. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You see, the Lord wants to shift your focus away from what you have to who you have. Be free from the love of money. Be free from this love of things because you have God. You have him. You have the person who has all things. You see, the desire for quick money and easy money will destroy your life. But Christ gives us eternal life. Riches for all of eternity. Joy and joy to the full. In your presence, there is what? Fullness of joy. Right? Christ gives fullness. 
So you see, these people make false promises of power. They make false promises of money. But the last one is false promise of community. They make a false promise of community. Notice the plural in these invitations in verse 11, 13, and 14. It says, um, come with us, let us. In verse 13, we shall find all precious goods. And 14, throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. So they're saying, you don't need your family. We will be your family. We will be a substitute family for your family. Now, this is a very strong temptation for many, especially if you came from a broken family. If you've never felt how it feels to be belong to to be loved, to belong to a place, you will go along with anybody that loves you. And that's why gangs and these type of groups are very appealing to young people because they want community, they want to belong. But the problem with this community is that they hate all other communities. Imagine this gang killing a man and killing a man who was a good husband and a father, taking away a child's father from that, right? Destroying, robbing that community. You see, the solution is not to destroy and break down, but to find grace and to belong to the new community of the body of Christ, the church. That's where our community is supposed to be. The church should become an alternative community to those who are lost and broken. Even following Christ sometimes causes you to lose your father and your mother and your family if you want to follow Christ. It means to deny yourself. It means to pick up your cross. I know for people in the LGBTQ community, that is their single greatest obstacle to, be, to, be, to become a Christian. Is They are in such a, such a close community in their sin, and when they come to church, they feel this rejection and this hatred. It's like, okay, so I should leave that community and go to nothing. We should be the community that receives sinners, that says, you're welcome here. Of course, we don't accept the sin that people do, but we accept the people. And Christ wants to give you that new family, that new community within his body. Now, just like any other family, this family is not perfect. Amen? <laughs> God, that was a very soft amen, but I, I, I trust you. This church family, Heritage Baptist Church, is full of sinners. We will disappoint one another, but... This is a family in which God our Father is working by His Son, by His Holy Spirit. He's making us new. He's making us more like Christ. And this is what you should know. Parents, children, everybody here, understand the appeal of sin. Understand how the world thinks, what they promise, the appeal of power, the appeal of money and community. But I love how the Father closes, and we'll close with this as well. He doesn't just show them the temptation. He also shows them the end of the temptation. Look at verse 15 to 19, and we will be done. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessor. So what I love what the father does here. He shows the temptation and he shows, see my son, if, you would, if you're going to go along this path, look at where it will end. Look at that. I love how one commentator said, fools consider only the short-term benefits of sin, but they fail to consider the long-term consequences. 
And that's all you have to do as a parent. Like, yes, this looks good. This looks attractive, but look at its end. I think this is a good criteria for any entertainment, any movie, anything. Movies and entertainment that we should reject are those movies that take evil, that take sin, and they glorify it. They say there's no real consequences for adultery. There's no real consequences for theft. And yeah, this person murdered because he was revengeful. That was good. You see, when you see that, your biblical, your biblical glasses should be on and say, no, that's evil. That's wrong. But the best movies are those movies that show evil. They don't necessarily hide evil, but they show the consequences of those evil. They show that, listen, how this, look at how this person destroyed his life or her life through adultery, or whatever it might be. Look, stealing doesn't pay. Look, murder ends in murder. Murder ends in death. Those type of things. Those are the type of things we should be saying. This is good entertainment. It shows evil in its ugliness, but also its consequences. Because why is that a good? Because it corresponds to reality. <laughs> so the best entertainment or the entertainment that just shows us reality, both in the short term and in the long term. It is just how God's moral universe works. Even those who do think they get away with it now, will never get away with it when Jesus comes again. Then all sin will be judged. All evil will be accounted for. And so here in Proverbs, it says, yes, sin will give you that short thrill, that rush of power, community, and money. But, but they, they think they are laying traps for other people. But what are they actually doing? They're just laying a trap for themselves. And he uses this illustration of a bird. It's so beautiful. He says, even a dumb animal like a bird, if the animal can see that there's a trap, and if he knows it's a trap, what will he do? He will flee. He will not be caught. But these people, unlike the birds, it's not just the trap is set for them. They themselves put the trap in in which they fall. They dig their own graves. They climb into the coffins and they say to you, come join us in the coffin. It's very cozy. And the father says, don't look at where they are. They're in the grave. So it's like they say, we will be like Sheol. And instead, they themselves go to Sheol, right? That's the point. So what do we see here? It's a beautiful example of a parent's instruction. Parent's instruction. Patiently, persistently, tenderly instructing a child in the wisdom of God and the fear of God. Parents do this. Take these truths. Take these questions, these principles, and, and, and ask and teach your child these things. And we see also here a parent's warning about people promising power, money, and community. But we should point them and say, look, that's suicidal. Only Jesus can give you true self-control, true wealth, a true community. So if you want to change the world, just raise up godly children and you'll change the whole world. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we confess that we have failed in so, so many areas of our lives, in our parenting, in, our, in us being children. Father, uh, our families are very broken. It's very painful in the sin that has happened in our families. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to trust you, trust your word and your wisdom and obey you. Father, for those parents here who still have young children, I pray that you would help us, help us to be faithful with the little things. 
Help us to instruct them persistently and to always show them the Savior, show them Christ. Give us the wisdom we need, Lord. We need wisdom. And I pray for the students here, those maybe in, um, in very worldly situations, that you would give them that discernment to know which voices to listen to. They would not listen to the voices that promises short-term gain while receiving long-term pain and suffering. Father, please help us. Thank you that you are good. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.